All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on the third day of December 2019. And I do like to remind you that I am the editor of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. You can subscribe to that by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com or call our office in New York during normal working hours, 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. I'd like to also encourage you to uh, consider subscribing to Chen Lin's letter, What is Chen Buying, What is Chen Selling? ChenPicks.com is a place to go for that. And I want to thank each of you for listening to this show and making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. Also, I want to invite you to keep your questions Comments, whatever you have to say about this show, send them along to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions at number four, Taylor at gmail.com. And of course, we do want to thank our sponsors because without them, there would be no show. Irving Resources, Novo Resources, Great Bear Resources, Gatling Exploration, and TriStar Gold Resources. And we'll be hearing from the President and CEO, Nav Dalliwal, of Gatling Exploration. He'll be with us uh, in just a few minutes from now after our first commercial break. I've titled today's show, An Inflationary Depression. Alistair McLeod, Michael Oliver is back with us, and Nav Dalliwal will be with us once again. He was here on behalf of another company in the past, but Nav Dalliwal of Gatling will be with me after the first commercial break, as I just noted. Financial markets are ignoring bearish developments in international trade, which coincide with the end of a long expansionary phase for credit. Both empirical evidence from the one occasion these conditions existed in the past and reasoned theory suggest the consequences of this collective folly will be enormous, undermining both financial asset values and fiat currencies. The last time this coincidence occurred was in 1929 to 1932, leading into the Great Depression when prices of commodities and output prices for consumer goods fell heavily. With unsound money and a central banking determined to maintain prices, illusions of prosperity may continue to exist, but depression conditions will exist nonetheless. Those were the quotes of Alistair McLeod in the introductory piece that he wrote on October 3rd in his essay titled An Inflationary Depression, which you can read, and I would suggest you do if you're serious about this uh, very important topic, go to goldmoney.com to read Alistair's essay of October 3rd. He has several since then, but the October 3rd one is the one we want to focus on today. Uh, So you may be wondering how we can have an inflationary uh, situation when we enter a depression. 
So uh, we'll be asking Alistair to walk us through his argument for an inflationary depression as opposed to the deflationary depression he talked about in the 1930s. And as I just noted, uh, Nav Dallywell, the CEO of one of our sponsors to this show, Gathering Exploration, will join me to introduce that evolving multi-million ounce gold exploration play that's going on in Ontario that Mr. Dallywell heads up. Gatling's geological team is led by Dale Ginn, whom I've known for many years. Dale and Nav were on to a major gold discovery at the uh, on behalf of Bonterra before certain financials, financiers, I should say, got involved in merging a struggling Quebec gold producer into Bonterra. Dale and Nav then left that company to work on Gatling's emerging multi-million ounce gold deposit known as the Larder Project. And I personally own some shares of Gatling, so I'm going to be paying close attention. You can bet on that to hear what Nav has to say. And he'll be with me, as I said, right after uh, commercial break a few minutes from now. But now I'm really happy to tell you that Michael Oliver is back with us again this week. And uh, I'm also happy to tell you that uh, you should go to OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com. And I say that because it is a momentum structural analysis is uh, the best technical analyst newsletter that I have ever read. And that's why we have Michael on the show almost, well, whenever he wants to come on, he's welcome. So thank you for joining me again, Michael. Hi, Jay. Good to be back. It's really good to have you here. And uh, 12.15 this morning, well, I didn't get up at 12.15. I got up at around 6.30, but when I came down to turn on my computer, I saw an email in my inbox from uh, from you at 12.15, New York time is when it arrived in my box, inbox. And uh, it, you were commenting on Monday's, Monday's market action, and you said, and I quote, it certainly was not just closing below the 10-day average that broke stuff today. Other indicators also broke, as did the VIX index to the upside. So what now? You posed that question. So what now? And of course, you had to read on uh, to determine what comes next. So of course, today, the equity market is down strong. As you just noted, the dollar is down a bit. Uh, gold is up, and uh, and we're seeing the treasuries up. But talk to us about about as much as you care to tell us about what you put out to your subscribers today, because I sense it's pretty important, a pretty important message. Well, we uh, when we analyze markets uh, like the S and P, which is is critical, and it's also critical for gold. So, gold gold uh, investors sh- should be paying uh, maximum amount of attention right now, not just to gold, but to the dollar index uh, and to the S and P five hundred, because we think they will engage uh, soon to assist gold in its next phase of its upside. Uh, the S&P 500, uh, we measured on a short-term, intermediate-term, and long-term basis, uh, looking at uh, momentum trend structures using long-term averages on down to short-term. And sometimes you can get short-term swings in any market that don't really mean much. You know, they're a trading situation. They, they come and go in a few weeks, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, they might be counter to the major trend, so they're just sort of nuisance uh, swings, that's all. But uh, we're watching uh, the S&P because it has a layered structure underneath it uh, on each time scale. So in other words, we see a short-term negative situation as of yesterday's close. So sure enough, today was was down pretty pretty nicely. Uh, And the question is, will it engage the next level below it, uh, monthly momentum, for example? Will Mm -hmm. monthly momentum then break and and engage quarterly momentum, which Mm -hmm. then engages annual momentum? It's not always the case when you look at different time scales on a given market uh, 
that they're all lined up to be used to break through. Uh, but right now, the S&P, and this, again, we keep stating this, uh, you can go back a century in the U.S. stock market, and you cannot find a momentum trend situation so, so well-structured for a major decline. Yes. Uh, in 1929 and 1987, for example, there was only one time scale that engaged to the downside, and that was quarterly momentum. It was not annual momentum. You did not break anything on annual momentum in those crashes. In fact... Mm-hmm. The crash has stopped at the 36-month averages. So there was a big difference between when you broke quarterly momentum and collapsed the next 30% just to get to the three-year average of the 36-month average. This time, it is totally different. The, the various triggers to the downside are tightly, fairly tightly arranged below the market. So if you drop mm. X percent, you could engage that trigger, which gets you to the next trigger, which it's like mm-hmm. a domino effect. Uh-huh. We've never seen it so pristine, and it is really set up for, to go. Right now, we just broke the short term. question is, will it flounder around enough, which is basically what we think is going to happen this month. It's not some major drop, but a wounding, perhaps, you know, a, mm-hmm. a fumbling around where people will still debate, is it up or is it down, et cetera. Yeah. Et cetera. Uh, because if you... If the S&P wobbles around between now and the next quarter, which is only 20-some trading days away, certain numbers are going to rise on quarterly momentum that could be engaged without much effort on the downside. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. of course, we specify those in our, our reports. But, uh, so we're watching for December to maybe just sort of fumble its way through the end of the year and position itself where it basically defaults a downside breakout on longer-term momentum. Uh, this is what happened in 2008, by the way. The end of 2007, it closed at insufficiently firm levels, so when you opened 2008, you broke structure. The same thing happened in 2015. You closed the year at the wrong spot, closed the quarter at the wrong spot. When you opened 2016, whoosh, 200 points to the downside. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's quite common. So anyway, we, we're quite on the edge of our seat here. And we also noticed that the dollar uh, is maneuvering its way back down toward the uh, key structures it has. Um, and we suspect the dollar, when it breaks down, will be a fellow traveler with the S&P 500. Mm-hmm. Downside. Yeah, well, I know you've been saying of late that you thought that either or both the dollar and the commodity sector needs to change directions yes. in a meaningful way in order for gold to move. We're not seeing anything really meaningful yet. I guess you said the dollar is getting close to some key levels, but... Uh, Bloomberg Commodity Index is very dormant still, but it's uh-huh. right below some key numbers. And we, uh-huh. I'm going to suspect that we get a dollar sell signal before we get a Bloomberg Commodity Buy signal. They're inversely related, and we think when the dollar does break, uh, give us our signal that we've got based on our methodology, uh, that we'll soon thereafter get an upside breakout by the Bloomberg and, of course, the Bloomberg at that point, commodity index, will be echoing, much lagged, but it will be echoing the positive trend of gold. Wow. This is what happened in the late 1970s, if you recall. You know, gold wow. launched first, and about a year or so later, the Bloomberg commodity index, or the CRB index, turned up from a low and followed gold. Mm-hmm. So, so let that's me just ask you, then, after all. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, that's, they're, they're determined, and we'll be talking to... Uh, Alistair McLeod in the last section of today's show about some of those issues. But so let me get get this straight. What you're saying is you, you call this a pristine structure. Uh, again, what's the importance of that? You say it didn't happen. Well, in it, 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 you don't want subjectivity. When you look at a chart, you don't want to have to interpret it. 
you want it to be very clear. It smacks you in the face with its trend clarity, uh-huh. uh, meaning uh-huh. the structures that you plot. It's the same with price charts. You know, when you uh, price chartists uh, fumble around to uh, draw trend lines on a price chart, and it, it's sort of guesswork, uh, and then sometimes it's very clear. Well, in the case now with momentum, the structures are very clear, and they're horizontal, flat floors-type structures. And when you break them, you go down. Uh, Now, these will break at levels that don't make much sense on a price chart. So the price chart folks aren't going to see the points of breakage that we see on momentum. Right. So to some extent, they'll be ambushed, and that's fine with us. (laughs) Quite often, the price chart folks... Uh, you know, the 20% rule, you're off the high by 20%, therefore you're a bear. That's usually about when they figure it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it takes that yeah, much. well, that's, uh, that's, that's quite a lot of bleeding before you get to that yeah. point. And I have noticed, I mean, one of the things that's really impressed me with your work, Michael, is the fact that so, so often your structural stuff leads away and, and lets people get ready for the price stuff to break or to go in the other, you know, up or down. So that's, that's what I've been... One of the advantages we, we try to... No, I, I, I would say that that's what I've observed, and one of the reasons that I really, I think, love to pay attention to your work, not only the markets that we talk about frequently, uh, but uh, folks, if you really want to know what those next key areas are, those next key levels are that you need that need to be broken before you go to the next step down, subscribing to uh, the structure, the momentum structural analysis is very important. It's OliverMSA.com. Go there. Learn all you can about what Michael does, and I think you might do very well consider a subscription. Thank you so much for being with us again, Michael, and I uh, guess we'll see you in a couple of weeks from now, hopefully. Oh, thank you, Jay. Bye-bye. All right. All right. All right, folks. Well, we do have to go to break, but don't go away. Nav Dallywell, the present CEO of Gatling Exploration, will be with us. This is a company that I think uh, you can expect to see some very exciting news over the next uh, well, starting almost immediately because they're going to have a very active drilling program through the winter. Uh, I think um, my expectations are that they will be very successful in building up a multi-million ounce gold deposit. That's uh, something we'll have to wait and see, but that's what I believe they can do, and that's why I'm really happy to tell you that Nav Daly will be with me right after the commercial break, so don't go away. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Novo has recently partnered with Sumitomo Corporation of Japan to evaluate, advance, and develop the company's Australian gold projects. With over $40 million in cash and $60 million committed from Sumitomo, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. Gatling Exploration is aggressively expanding its 100% owned Larder Gold Project with three high-grade gold deposits located along the prolific Kirkland Larder Break in Ontario, Canada. 35,000 meters of drilling is underway and to date has now connected two of the three gold deposits and is aiming at connecting the third to create a 4.5 kilometer trend. Gatling trades under GTR on the TSX Venture and GATGF on the OTCQX. Visit www.gatlingexploration.com to learn more. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to be with Nav Dalywal again. He's the president and CEO of Gatling Exploration. Uh, he's here to introduce that story. Gatling is a sponsor of this show. We're very pleased about that, and I'm very pleased to tell you that uh, I took advantage of a little weakness in the stock today to pick up some more personally. It is a recommendation in my newsletter. Uh, and uh, Nav Dalywal and uh, lead geologist Dale Ginn, uh, have been a successful team in the past. I followed them uh, through uh, another company, Bonterra. They were very successful. And then uh, at one point, uh, the financiers stepped in and decided they want to take the company in a different direction. They they merged in a, a struggling producer in Quebec, and they the emphasis on the, uh, on the great deposit that Dale and Nav were building uh, was de-emphasized. Uh, uh, Nav moved on with Dale. Uh, to Gatling, and I'm really pleased um, to tell you that uh, I'm really happy to have Nav with us today. Thanks for joining me, Nav. I appreciate it, Jay. It's always a pleasure, and thanks for the intro there. <laughs> yeah, it was a. I mean, I was really, quite frankly, as an investor, very disappointed uh, that that uh, you know that they took the company in a different direction. But I guess the people had the money; they could do what they wanted to do. But uh, I, you guys were on to building a very substantial deposit there. I know. And then all of a sudden, everything got quiet, and you weren't talking about it. Now, you and Dale are back uh, with the Larder Project in, uh, uh, in, in Ontario, just across the border uh, from Quebec. Uh, this is your That's first right. time talking about this story. So just tell us a little bit about that deposit. You already have a, close to a million ounces, uh, even before you started working on it, four, I think four, to four, four, to, four to five and a half grams, somewhere in that range is the average grade. But what can you tell us about uh, what you have now and what the prospects are for building on this deposit. Absolutely, Jay. And, and, and yeah, uh, to expand on that, that's right. We're going to do it again. Uh, we get out there, we find the right assets, and, um, you know, we raise the capital, put the right people together, and uh, get to work. Because at the end of the day, the drill bit's got to talk to us and uh, show them that our theories of what we're seeing here uh, is panning out. So with Gatling, when we took a look at this, this was part of a, a package that we picked up while we were there, and we spun this out as we, you know, exited ourselves out of Bond. And um, so this is how uh, Gatling was conceived. Uh, it was a spin-out. It wasn't an RTO or anything else like that. Um, so what we did was, back in the day, um, you know, with Dale Gann and myself and the rest of the team, we were looking at this Cadillac Larder Fault, looking for the next, um, you know, potential of uh, building out a multi-ounce deposit. And uh, right next door to Nico Eagles, uh, Queenston Project, which in 2016, they were JV'd with Yamana, and they had bought out Yamana for $180 million. So ah. this is now one of 
and Nico Eagle's biggest exploration projects uh, that they're working on in Canada, um, we have now buttoned up, and when I say buttoned up, we've consolidated the, the eastern trend of this Cadillac Larder Fault. And what we've done is put together three deposits, the Bear Lake deposit, the Sheminist deposit, and the Fernland. Now, all three of these deposits historically, Jay, were looked upon independently. Nobody looked at them as cohesive, like is there mineralization through this, is this just one big deposit? So we put these three deposits together, and sure enough, in just recent news releases, um, when we started off back in earlier part of this year with a 10,000-meter drill program, very quickly uh, bumped that up to 35,000, because when we get at it, we want to um, you know, definitely keep at it. And why we were keeping at it is the success that we were having at the drill bit. Uh, again, doing what we do best, we known that there was a, a 43-101 of 917,000 ounces inferred at 5.5 grams per tonne. And that's primarily on the Bear Lake deposit. And that work was uh, comprised by Goldfield, who did a $40 million option back in 2010 on the Bear Lake deposit. And in 2012, as we know, Goldfield shut down all their exploration and focused on their production. They left us with $6 million worth of work, 31,000 meters of drilling that was on, including that 43-101. So we're expanding on that. And quickly, from all that data and all the work, and Goldfield does impeccable work, um, you know, we've quickly uh, looked at the model, and again, 200-meter step out at depth, we've hit. Uh, just recently, we've shown that there's mineralization connecting the Bear Lake and Shaminist deposit together. So we've connected two of the three deposits already. Um, again, as I mentioned earlier, we've aggressively upped our campaign to 35,000 meters. We intend on having that done in the early part of January. So again, we'll be rolling over to continue on drilling. Um, in earlier part, Sorry, going back again to mm-hmm. really consolidate the, the northern part of our land package, we did a deal with Tech. Tech spent over $2 million getting their property, uh, and that property was connected or on the same trend as the Nico Eagle's upper beaver deposit. So oh. it kind of made sense for us being the only junior, especially this is a good point to make out to the audience, uh, Jay, we're the only junior in the area working. We're not competing for dollars. We're not competing for that attention. Um, you know, with the share, uh, you know, with our shares outstanding, we're a very tight structure. We've got cash in the bank, uh, and we're continuing to drill out. So this is there's a lot of upside for not only the company but everybody involved and people looking to get involved. Uh, like as you mentioned, the share price has depressed a bit here, but again, with more news that we intend on putting out here in short order. Um, you know, we, we see a uh, see quick turnaround on our stock. Yeah. Dude, so you're finding the connection between these, these three different deposits that have been discovered in the past. Uh, have, you, have you put out some information, some drill results from the from you, you just talked about going down 200 meters deeper? Uh, and, and, yep. uh, and, and, and the connect, you've put out some drill results from that now? 
Absolutely. We've, we put out everything that I've mentioned here uh, in, in our interview has been out in the public forum now. Um, again, you know, the 200-meter step-outs that we've done at depth on showing the continuity of the actual deposit. And then further from that, just recently, um, you know, we had a strike length of, I believe, 42 meters of a one and a half grams, showing that that mineralization does go between the, uh, the bear and the sheminist deposit. So again, we're very encouraged. We're con- continuing to drill out there. Um, so, you know, again, we have not stopped. So there's just, there's a, there's an abundance of news flow that's going to be happening with, uh, Gatling here. And, and I would expect that, uh, you know, you'll start seeing that news flow in the early part of the, the new year as, as we're starting to wind down this year, but winding down in the market sense, the company itself, let me state is not winding down. We are continuing to move the needle by, uh, continuing having these drills spinning out there. How much distance between these three uh, these these three deposits that have been recognized in the past? I mean, what and what sort of yeah, strike length between the three? Yeah, no, no, and, and thanks. Uh, you know, sometimes when I get going, my excitement kind of gets the better of me. But to back it up, uh, joining these three deposits will show a four and a half kilometer strike. And what we've accomplished to date already, we've already aggressively proven out two kilometers of that four and a half. Um, and again, there's a lot more drilling for us to do and a lot more, um, you know, there's a lot more to be excited about here in short order. Mm-hmm. Well, in the past, uh, in fact, right to, to the east of where you are, you have uh, what's the Curry Addison mine that was some 10 million yeah. ounces of graded, uh, 10 and a half million ounces that graded, that graded 10 grams per ton. Do you see this as the same, this is the same system? We've got the same system, and that's what we're yeah, drilling off. Right. It's the same system, right. that Cadillac Larder Fault there. And you're right, and, and thank you for pointing that out. Kerr-Addison was one of the more profitable, more economical deposits in Canada. It's such high grade and such a tight package to mine. That's similar to what we're drilling out um, with these three deposits, correct, currently. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you you know, mentioned, so, go ahead. No, no, I was no. just going to mention also with, with that being said, this is, you know, this is a, the, uh, an area, an, a proven out gold camp that's been around for decades now where the infrastructure is there for us. Gatling has patented ground, so we're not working uh, exclusively on mining leases. The power, water, everything is there. You know, our community relations, that's something that's very important for me when I get into an area is to definitely get out there and reach out to the communities first and foremost. So we've checked all the boxes as investors want to look at companies. Have they done their due diligence? Have they, you know, gone out and like I just mentioned, checked all the boxes of, you know, jurisdiction and, and, you know, are they financed? Do they have the team? Do they have the resources? We've checked all the boxes off for, for our shareholders here and being in Canada, one of the more safer jurisdictions in the world right now, as we can see what's happening, I believe that, uh, you know, the, the gold deposits are just, they'll be worth a lot more in, 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 in the near future. Uh, just seeing how, you know, we're, we're a proactive mining country and uh, money safe here. Well, no, no doubt about that. Uh, so I know this is probably too early to, to answer this question definitively, but you have, you have these three high-grade deposits, essentially, that have been established in the past. Now, you're mentioning that there's some probably lower grades. It hasn't been drilled that much, but you've proven the continuity with a lower grade in between uh, two of these. Do you think, um, I mean, is, are, is the concept here that this may be one major deposit 
uh, that, or or yeah. will it be a several high, will it be three high grade deposits or, or I, I know it's too early to, to say definitively but what is the concept? Well, exactly. In in our theory going into this is that we see it, and you know, with Dale and Nathan and Carly, uh, our geologists, our geo team that's looking at this, we believe there is continuity throughout it all. Now, you're correct in stating that you know it is early days. We intend on doing a lot more. You know, we've got thirty five thousand meters. You know, to us, before we start looking at this, we got to put another hundred thousand meters plus of drilling down there. Doing what we do. Uh, Jay, as you've seen before, we drill it out, we interpret the data. Um, so as of right now, we see this low mineralization, but it's shown that there is mineralization. And now you're going to see these plungy shooting, you know, these roddy type uh, high grade that will be shooting through. So that's what we're targeting now and seeing if the, there is continuity through through the high grade or you're just seeing these big shoots of, of, of these high grade um, shoots again, as I was just mentioning. Um, but right now, it's early days, and we want to continue to drill it out. And as we continue to drill it out, we can build out the model as well. But we're pretty confident, though, that uh, yeah, I, we I, have four and a half kilometers here. I suppose when you talk about checking the boxes, metallurgy is probably the same as what has, is already known, because there's been mining and a lot of work done on the on this, and it's a, the same system, as you say, all the way over to Curry Addison, so... Is, is I guess right. metallurgy is another box that you've checked. It, it, not completely yet. You'll have to do more work, of course. But uh, that's it. Well, I wanted to ask you also. What about um, you said you have money? How much do you have, and how far will that take you? Uh, when do you think you'll have to raise again? No, no, absolutely. And as you know, that uh, you know we're junior explorers, and then and it's it's about uh, definitely monitoring the 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 balance sheet and and making sure we're getting productivity out of it. So currently, right now, we're about three million dollars. Uh, you know, that's going to put us into the early part of next year as we put out some more results and and kind of show uh, the investing community what we've been doing uh, with the drilling that we've done. And I I think in the second quarter of next year, we'd like to bring on some. Sort all the investors alongside with us and and kind of move it forward. Um, you know, as, as it sits right now, we we are looking at the value. There's, there is a lot of value be created for existing shareholders or shareholders that are listening now and looking to get involved in junior gold explorers. Uh, I can't emphasize enough to the investing community. You're looking at a company that. Uh, you know, we've got a balance sheet, we're drilling, we're active, we're in the right uh, jurisdiction, um, we're the only junior in this area, and we're starting off not just green fields, we've got just under a million ounces sitting on the, sitting there, and uh, right now, currently, our market cap's about $25 million. Uh, right. I can't uh, emphasize enough for people to take a look at this. Well, no doubt about it, and uh, in a gold bull market, which I think we're in, and today, of course, is encouraging me to think that's probably right. Uh, it is. It is certainly yeah, worth worth it. Uh, worth a good look, and then uh, always important. Of course, you'll have a constant flow of of, uh, of of drill results coming out in the next number of weeks, uh, going into the spring. I guess right. So, absolutely, Jay, and that's what really kind of that's what we've always been known for is keeping the market investing community um, and everybody involved uh, apprised of the work that we're doing, not just showcasing some historical workings. Of course, people understand we got historical, but that's what we're known for. We get out there and we work our our ground um, and, you know, we, we wanted to work it the best and the most efficiently way that we can. 
All right, very good. Well, we'll have to leave it go at that. Thank you very much, Nav, for being with us, and we'll look to keep up with the story uh, as more drill results come out. Thank you so much. Always appreciate it. Thank you, Jay. You bet. Okay, folks, well, we do have to go to break, but Alistair McLeod will be back with me, uh, talk about some things that may not be that pleasant, but we need to face reality as uh, as much as we can, and I think Alistair is here to talk about something that he believes may be in our future, and that is a Uh, an inflationary depression. It may sound like something that isn't likely, but we'll hear what Alistair has to say right after the break, so don't go away. Great Bear Resources, trading under GBR on the TSX and GTBDF on the OTCQX is a gold exploration company focused on their 23-kilometer, wholly-owned Dixie Project in the prolific Red Lake Mining District. Having recently made multiple high-grade gold discoveries, GBR is fully funded to complete their very active 90,000-meter drill program through next year. Considered one of the best-performing exploration stocks in the last two years, GBR aims to release a maiden resource in early 2020. To stay up to date, visit greatbearresources.ca. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Alistair McLeod. He's one of our more frequent guests here. Alistair writes a weekly column at goldmoney.com, and if you care at all about your economic future, you owe it to yourself, to your family, to your loved ones to read his column every week. And uh, today I want to talk to Alistair about about an article he wrote on October 3rd called An Inflationary Depression, and I'll start out just uh, Alistair's... Uh, his essays are always uh, very good in the sense that the first you're introduced to it before you get into the meat of it, you have a big picture of what the story or what you're going to encounter. And uh, he let in, uh, just read the, the opening lines here from the October 3rd uh, article that he wrote in Inflationary Depression. He said, and I quote, financial markets are ignoring bearish developments in international trade, which coincide with the end of a long expansionary phase of for credit. Both empirical evidence from the one occasion these conditions existed in the past and reason theory suggests that consequences of this collective folly will be enormous, undermining both financial asset values and fiat currencies. 
The last time this coincidence occurred was 1929 to 1932, leading into the Great Depression when prices for commodities and output prices for consumer goods fell heavily. With unsound money and a central banking determination to maintain prices, illusions of prosperity may continue to exist, but depression conditions will exist nonetheless, end of quote. So, Alistair, welcome, and I'm so happy that you could join us today because uh, not a happy topic for sure, uh, but I think an enlightening one. And I want to ask you, you you wrote that on October 3rd. Of course, the action in the equity markets today and, and yesterday, too, uh, suggest that some people may be having second thoughts about ongoing prosperity, but uh, but but what are your thoughts about about today's action, perhaps, and and the equity markets? Well, it's I mean it, it's a one percent fall on a net basis. I think it was yeah. somewhat more than that um, during the trading session. Uh, but the interesting thing is that uh, I think people are waking up to the problem that uh, trade tariffs are likely to cause. Uh, that seems to be cited as the reason that the market has gone gone easier. And President Trump has made comments to that effect. So, yes, I think um, I think the edifice may be beginning to crack a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've been warning on this show at least uh, a year ago or so that you felt the existing credit expansion was nearing its end. Uh, you, you felt even last year that we could very well be heading into a downturn as early as, I think, as early as the fourth quarter of last year. Well, here we are. Now, of course, we know that recessions are always measured, you know, after the fact, and we're probably into a recession long before people acknowledge that we are in a recession but do you think, uh, are you seeing signs right now uh, in, the, in the real world, not in the stock market necessarily, but are you seeing economic signs that, that the global economy is slowing down a bit? Yeah, yes, very much so. Um, the problem with trying to judge it is, of course, the whole thing is priced in funny money. So right. <laughs> you have a situation where, uh, you know, the, the world can be going to hell in a handcart and, uh, you know, the GDP appears to, to grow. Um, and uh, so it does make it rather difficult if you're just a statistician trying to look at things like, um, you know, PMI figures and inflation figures and all the rest of it. But um, the one thing that is absolutely clear is the volumes of uh, cross-border trade, the sort of international trade, have actually um, contracted. That's almost come to a a, a halt. Mm -hmm. And we see that the major um, uh, economies who depend on America and or China are themselves running into difficulties. And there's no clearer example of this than Germany. Germany's economy is heading south quite rapidly, even in inflated euros. And uh, we also have the worry that, of course, that the German banking system before this happened was getting into difficulties. I mean, quite visibly, um, we have seen the management at Deutsche Bank struggling with that behemoth, trying to stop it imploding. And um, uh, you know the situation. I think if you put a, um, a, a, if you like, a recession on top of that, uh, this is an extra factor which actually could, um, you know, sort of destabilize the whole of the German banking system. And we're not even talking Italy. We're not even talking Greece. We're not even talking Spain. We're talking about the most important and um, strongest economy within the European Union. It's um, it is an extraordinary situation. It is an extraordinary situation. I mean, you point out in your article that uh, you, you had the, the confluence of those two events, the, the uh, Smoot-Howley in the 1930s uh, 
uh, and the, the expansion of the credit. Of course, the uh, you know uh, Chairman Powell and all the central bankers essentially are seem to be very very worried about another 2008 2009. They seem to make sure, try to make sure that they're out ahead of it, so they're not so that they're proactive instead of reactive. Looks like they expect that they're never going to allow credit uh, to contract again, at least if they can help it. I think that's right. You make a very good point about them being worried. Uh, I think they are extremely worried. They know that uh, the expansion of credit uh, has not rescued the global economy since uh, the Lehman crisis. I mean, you know, it it appears as if um, the American economy me, the German economy, the EU, whatever, have just been sort of stuttering along with a little bit of growth, but never coming up to uh, their potential. But you've got to bear in mind that uh, the numbers that uh, they're looking at in terms of real growth are after a heavily suppressed rate of inflation. I mean, the deflator uh, they say is around about one and a half to two percent in most of the major economies. There's no way it's that. It is considerably more. Now, uh, if, I mean, you've just got to look at uh, Shadow Stats numbers or the Chapwood Index. Mm-hmm. Now, in America, it appears on, and they confirm each other, the current rate of price inflation is in the order of nine or ten percent now if you use that deflator on your gdp then uh, america is already in um, a recession and a very deep one a slump if you like and it has been that way more or less ever since uh, the initial shock after after Lehman. So we, we have a situation where overburdened with unproductive debt, I mean, you know, you can go on and on and on about all the things that are wrong. And then on top of all this credit expansion, as you point out, we have a smoot hawley like hit um, because America and China have, uh, you know, sort of are ratcheting up uh, uh, tariffs against each other. And, you know, we, what we're doing is we are turning um, the, the, the whole economy into uh, the most enormous crisis by continuing with these policies. And bear in mind, it's not just one cycle that we're looking at from the Lehman crisis. We're looking at all the cycles which haven't washed out the bad debt going all the way back, um, certainly into the, into, into the late 90s and probably quite a bit earlier. And you could even go back and make a case and say that this is a culmination of something that really started uh, in August 1971 uh, when Nixon um, suspended uh, the Bretton Woods Agreement. In other words, uh, you know, the, the uh, ability of just a few players in the big markets, you know, like the central banks and the IMF and the World Bank, actually to redeem their dollars for gold. That was suspended at that stage. And ever since then, of course, monetary inflation has just been rip-roaring. Yeah, for sure. And it's going into the financial sector, uh, especially since, uh, especially during the, starting in the 1980s, I would argue, we started seeing this huge bond bull market, which uh, is really transfer of wealth and, of course, manufacturing and the sort of wealth-creating industries left America and went to China and went to Mexico and other places. But you talk on, on page two of your latest, uh, or of the October 3rd report, you talk about credit cycles within credit cycles and their increasing force. Uh, and, and that and that reminded me of an article that you wrote going back. Uh, 150 years of bank credit expansion is near its end. 
I mean, this sounds very almost cataclysmic, what you're talking about here. Could you explain that? I mean, uh, 150 years going back to the Bank of England, I guess, way back, the 1800s. Uh, yes, yes, indeed. I mean, this we're, we're going back to the Bank Charter Act of 1844, which is otherwise known as Peel's Banking Act. And basically what that did was that it set the terms whereby the Bank of England uh, would um, back every uh, note issued um, physically by gold. And in those mm-hmm. days, the sovereign, we had the sovereign, the sovereign mm-hmm. was, was uh, one pound. Uh, it's now over 300 by the way just as a matter of interest Um, but it was it 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 was a pound and there's a pound uh, well they called it sterling because originally we were on silver um standard but um what it meant was that the the bank of england would not print another five pound note without having five sovereigns worth of gold Uh uh uh, added added to its reserves um now that was absolutely fine that's a sensible gold standard, um, gold exchange standard, however you like to call it, uh, system. But what they missed was that banks, commercial banks in their lending, uh, could actually expand the quantity of credit, which was turned into money as soon as it hit uh, people's deposit accounts. And so you had fiat currency in the middle of this, which couldn't be identified as different from um, uh, money which was actually properly backed by gold the consequence of this was that you had a cycle of credit and we had the overend gurney crisis which i think was 1867 overend gurney was the biggest discount broker in london discount house in london uh, and uh, they were doing so well uh, in this sort of credit expansion that they then sort of invested in things like uh, railways and of course there was a railway crash and it wiped out overend gurney and then you had the bearing crisis um that was yeah. uh, I, th- I think for something like 1890 and and when bearing that was their first crisis by the way yeah, yeah, they had went, went, yeah. went, went wrong 100 years later but yeah. uh, you know they they invested in the argentine um you know which actually was a wonderful economy and all the rest of it but it was a bubble and next door in brazil there was a bubble as well so guess what happened i mean the thing blew up in Bering's face. And if they, if at that stage the other banks hadn't rallied around, helped by the Bank of England, coordinated by the Bank of England and Nathan Rothschild, if they hadn't rallied around Bering's, it could have wiped out the whole financial system. But so, but this is a cycle of credit. And uh, people just don't seem to understand that when they look at the boom and bust sequence, that the origin of it actually is the expansion of credit and then the catastrophe that always comes at the end of of an expansion. The reason I'm going on about this is that this time we are seeing the culmination of several cycles, potentially, uh, which really does mean that this one is going to be a big one. Now, a big one, I think, has uh, um, a more than uh, likely chance that it will take out the fiat currencies. In other words, the fiat currencies through this process will themselves begin to collapse. Why? Because Following the Lehman uh, uh, crisis, the central banks know that the only thing they can do is to just chuck new money into the system as much as possible to keep it going. The amount of money that's going to be required this time is considerably greater than was required at the time of the Lehman crisis. Now, this is why we're beginning to see central banks, bankers really worrying about it. Mm-hmm. We see the the uh, middle European um, uh, countries accumulating gold and not only 
that, but making sure they've got control over the gold. They're, they're, they're telling the Bank of England, come on, you know, we want our gold at home. So uh, and these are people who have, um, you know, most recently suffered from communism. They know the consequences of the socialization of money. And uh, some of the brighter brains there are beginning to say, we've got to protect ourselves because there is a tsunami coming and we don't want to be wiped out for a second time in 40 years. Mm-hmm. I, I'd like you to to try to explain to our listeners, if you can, uh, the, most ex- the most recent experience, of course, we had was 2008-2009 uh, when we had this uh, credit collapse. Uh, it almost got away from the central bankers. I think you'd agree with that. And then uh, we had, at least for a brief period of time, collapsing prices everywhere because it had a snowballing effect. So most people believe that that's what we'll have again if we have any kind of problem at all. They, they, they can't really see rising prices. And, and we did, I think you would acknowledge, we did have a very brief period of, of deflation or at least collapsing prices in the real world, not just in the financial markets, but in the real world for a brief period of time. And then they started stimulating and p- pumping money into the system again. Are you suggesting that this time... They may not be able to get it to revive it again and have another cycle, catch the uh, catch the falling knife, as it were. They seem to have done in 2008, 2009. That this time well, may be the culmination of a major, going back as much as 150 years, a whole cycle of credit. Well, the 150 years cycle, I, I, I'm really standing back and looking at the big, big, big picture. Yeah, um, yeah. Right. But, but what, what you describe post-Lehman is a perfectly natural thing. I mean, you uh-huh. get just too much capacity in the economy. Uh, people are making um, too many of the same thing. And mm-hmm. so when that went wrong, I mean, we remember cash for clunkers. Uh, sure. You know, in this country, in, 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 in Britain, uh, we had a similar scheme. And I remember in the wake of that, uh, there were some car manufacturers, I, I think Citroen in particular, who were almost offering on some models, buy one and get one free. You know, <laughs> they just had to clear this because there were no buyers for it. You know, so they had to get get rid of stock at any uh-huh. price, uh-huh. even Mercedes. I, I, I'm, I know of people who bought Mercedes at a 40% discount to the list price. <laughs> and, um, you know, there were very few motor manufacturers who actually went through that without having very substantial cuts in, 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 in price. So that, it, that happens when you get the crisis. When the crisis hits, uh, suddenly you find that, um, you know, People who would normally buy things um, on credit, whatever, they recoil. They stop doing that. Mm -hmm. So you get that moment. But inevitably what happens is the central bank steps in and then really throws money at the problem to try and get prices up because they believe that the only condition which is healthy is rising prices. So they're Mm -hmm. going to bring that about uh, as quickly as they possibly can. Well, that was the same idea as the 1930s, wasn't it? I think our Federal Reserve, uh, our, our, our president, uh, the executive, and the Fed really tried to keep prices up as well, right? They, they, didn't, yes. they weren't very successful. <laughs> well, there were two elements of that. I mean, President Hoover was trying to support prices, which basically meant that nothing could be sold. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, bear in mind that in the 1930s, um, the world, and particularly America, was on a, a gold 
gold standard. So mm -hmm. prices were in effect in gold. And it was that that led to uh, the 40% devaluation of the dollar measured in gold mm -hmm. uh, from 20.67 to $35 uh, in 1934. So, um, you know, the the situation basically is one that leads to that sort of pressure on the currency, but I think it's going to be enormous this time, given the amount of fear that's been printed since uh, the Nixon shock in 1971. So what is the, so the solution for individuals? I, I mean, obviously, um, gold has been rising relative. Gold's purchasing power has been holding its own. The dollar's has not. The dollar's purchasing power, as you pointed out earlier, uh, hasn't held up nearly as well as they pretend it has. Um, in the middle America, we have the opioid crisis. We have people that used to uh, work uh, in manufacturing in the middle America, the people that voted for Trump primarily, are hurting really badly, while the intelligentsia, the, the uh, you know people on the, both of the coasts that are involved in, um, in government or in the military-industrial complex or what have you are doing quite well. And they tend to be Trump haters, so more or less uh, generalizing. Um, but in terms of gold, we've had sort of depressed. I mean, gold continues to buy much more, and the dollar keep, continues to buy much less. So I guess if you use gold as your as your currency, um, you know, we've had declining prices. If gold were our money, right? Yes, absolutely. I think the way to look at it is that the dollar will lose purchasing power, as will the euro, as will sterling, as will the yen. They'll all lose purchasing power. And uh, the faster that uh, the central banks uh, produce uh, new money, QE if you like, then uh, potentially the more rapidly uh, fiat currencies will lose their purchasing power. The only thing you can do is get out of fiat currencies, basically. Uh, and uh, then we're, what we're looking at is we're looking at gold. If you want to speculate a bit, possibly silver. Um, some of the younger guys listening to your radio show might, <laughs> might want to go for Bitcoin. Um, I wouldn't put them off doing that, um, but just get the hell out of fiat currencies. And the, you know, the problem is we, we we hang around waiting for it to happen and waiting and waiting and waiting and we we look at gold and we think of gold in terms of dollars and we think well it's currently trading at 1470 it's rallied up from you know 1454 in the last uh, three sessions four sessions i think i'll wait until it comes back a bit i mean you can play those games if you like but actually this is a lot more serious than a little bit of speculation and trying to save a dollar or two on the gold price mm -hmm. So your uh, bottom line, then, the advice that you give investors and, and just common folks is to get out of fiat if you can. Uh, of course, pay off your debts if you can. And that's where a lot of people are going to be hurting really badly because there's so much debt. Um, well, well, debt, sorry, if I can interfere, yeah. it, sorry, it, yes, if I can cut across you. Um, by the way, I don't give investment advice. I'm looking at money. I understand. You know, different I understand that. Um, but uh, when it comes to debt, it's an interesting one because uh, private individuals across the world are now so much in debt that if the system collapses, then it's not just you, it's your neighbor, it's everybody else who is in exactly the same position. Now, that puts you in quite a powerful political position. So, in a sense, if you've got a, a mortgage on your house, as long as you can continue to make the payments, you will probably see the thing through until 
the uh, value of uh, the repayment value of your mortgage is actually depreciated so much because of all the money that's been produced yeah, right. that you're probably going to be all right. So you've got to take you know, sort of quite complex decisions of that sort. What you don't want to be is alone, because if you're alone and you're in trouble, nobody's going to come and rescue you. Right. If you're in there with millions in exactly the same situation, then basically the government will do everything they can <laughs> to protect you. Um, not you as an individual, but, yeah. um, you know, they, they, yeah, collectively. So, so these are the sort of things you've got to think through, I think, quite carefully. Alistair, I don't know if we'll have you on. Uh, with just 30 seconds left, next, we're coming to the end of the year. Will we see higher gold prices by this time next year than we see today? I, today's gold I, prices moving up I, close I, to 1500 I will put it another way. You're going to see a lower dollar. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it because we know that the the gold is a constant measuring stick, isn't it? And it's That's the dollar that, uh, that fools us. People sound think money. Yeah, yeah sound do, money, everybody sound thinks money. in terms of the dollar, but it's really gold they should be thinking of. Alistair, thank you so much for being with us again. And um, if we don't talk to you until 2020, Happy New Year to you and uh, Happy Holidays. Well, thank you very much. It's been great being on. And um, I just want to wish all your uh, listeners um, a, a not too bruising uh, 2020. Yeah, <laughs> let's not too bruising. Let's and, hope it's uh, a lot better than I think it will be. Yeah, let's hope you're wrong. Uh, but it's better to be prepared than not to. So thank you so much, Alistair. Uh, we'll talk pleasure. to you again soon. All right, folks. Well, that is uh, all the time for today's show. Next week, my main guest will be Harry Dent. Well, he has a different view, a little different view, but he's a deflationist. I believe it's fa fair to say. We'll hear what he has to say and uh, maybe compare them with what Alistair told us today. Uh, I expect I'll have a surprise guest or two as well. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. TriStar Gold is a gold exploration and development company listed on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol TSG and on the OTCQB under the symbol TSGZF. The large and growing gold resource at Castelo de Sanos Project is located in mining-friendly Pata State, Brazil. A recent $8 million investment from major mining company Royal Gold will advance the CDS project towards a feasibility study in 2020. TriStar Gold enjoys strong institutional shareholder support from groups like Gold 2000, RBC, Sun Valley, and U.S. Global. 